Hello, friends. This morning, I'm taking a look at John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. So we're continuing in John's gospel with these daily reflections, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on Instagram Live, and then reposted on Facebook, and then on the podcast, The Bible Tells Me What. So thanks for tuning in today and uh, checking it out. Um, And uh, yeah, this is going to be wrapping up John chapter 3, and then next week on Monday, we'll get into John chapter 4. All right, so John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, a bit of a continuation of what's come before, um, but also uh, starting a slightly new section. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the, the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and baptized. Uh, so Jesus and his band of followers are now have now gone out into the countryside. They are uh, baptizing people, okay, just like John the Baptist had. So, and he's going to, a bunch of this is about John the Baptist. John was also baptizing near, uh, at Aon, near Salim, because water was abundant there, and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew, and there's a little note saying it could say, and the Jews, um, and we mentioned that yesterday, the, the problematic, um, some of the problematic things in the Gospel of John. One of those is um, the continued use of the term the Jews to talk about opponents. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to yesterday's comments about that, you can go ahead and do that. Um, but essentially, this debate is, is happening. Um, keep in mind, uh, just the short version is that John's disciples are also Jewish, um, so everyone is Jewish in this story, um, but uh, it's basically setting up those who are associating with Jesus um, and then and and are in John's community, those who are reading this, um, sorry, John, the gospel writer's community, the ones who are reading this, they are, are kind of distancing themselves from Judaism. And, and are finding a new way in, in Jesus. So this is these two sides that are set up. Anyway, the, they came to John, verse 26. So this is John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, coming to John and saying to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah. Uh, Now, I'm going to stop there. So just what they're doing is they're saying, the one who was with you across the Jordan, they're talking about Jesus, uh, to whom you testified, to whom you pointed. Like there's that courtroom language again that we talked about yesterday, the one you... uh, witnessed about, the one you talked about and pointed to, here he is baptizing, as in, you're the, you're the baptizer, like you're John who baptizes out in the countryside and out in the wilderness, and now here he is running around baptizing people, like he's taken over your ministry, like we don't like that. Um, that's basically what they're saying. John says, no one can receive anything except what's been given from heaven. 
uh, so this is a this is a gift. You yourselves are witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, or the Christ is the the Greek, uh, but I have been sent ahead of him. And so he's saying, you know, yeah, like sure, that's fine. He's he's baptizing. Absolutely, he's the Messiah. I've I've been telling you all along. It's not me. And so he says, um, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So he's using, we mentioned this a few days ago, I think, uh, the bride image. Oh yeah, when we talked about uh, the wedding at Cana, John chapter 2, the beginning of uh, chapter 2. Um John is referencing, talking about Jesus is like the bridegroom, right? And the bride is like the people, or eventually the the image becomes the bride of Christ is the church. Um, so the people uh, who belong to the bridegroom, in a sense, like this is sort of uh, old language, right? And there's this celebration, like this wedding celebration that's going to happen. This is a primary image to talk about the kingdom of God is like a, a wedding banquet or a wedding feast. And uh, this great uh, banquet that we'll all be invited to where we will sit at table with uh, Jesus. And we anticipate this in communion. Like there's so many connections that go on here. Um, and uh, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, Right. So the one who has the people, the one who has this connection to uh, the ministry and the people, that's the bridegroom. So yeah, absolutely, Jesus should be baptizing people if that's what Jesus is being called to do, if that's what's been given to him by heaven to do. Yeah, the friend of the bridegroom, as in John's now talking about himself, I'm just a friend, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, right, who stands and hears him. Uh, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So, oh, great. The bridegroom's here. Like I've been, I've been keeping the, I've been like entertaining the guests, right? I've been, um, I'm like the opening act and, and here's the real deal showing up, right? So yeah, we, we don't resent Jesus for showing up. Like we don't resent this new thing taking place. Um, this is great. And, um, for this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. Like, this is this is awesome. He must increase, but I must decrease. And this is, uh, I really like this line, a pretty famous line, he must increase, I must decrease. And I actually think this is a great way of living our lives, actually, because we do a lot of um, ourselves increasing. Like, <laughs> this is going out on Instagram and Facebook, and there's a podcast, and we could sort of, we see this all over the place, like people are putting themselves out there, like increasing themselves, rather than uh, figuring out how it is that we point to a greater reality than ourselves, we point to uh, Christ, we point to God. Um, but we could also even do this without um, talking necessarily about uh, about God or Jesus, we may talk about it in terms of like, what it is that we protect, like the disciples of John are really worried about, you know, like here's this one who's infringing on your territory. You've got this good thing going with baptizing people. Everyone loves it. Um, 
you get really fiery in your in your message and 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 yeah, people like that, you know? And and here's this other one who's coming and he's 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 doing the same kinds of things you were and he's taking your people away. Like that's no good. Um and in the church world, I sometimes wonder if we are trying to protect the institution or the organization or like our own turf over the new thing that God may be doing. So I don't know, a new church shows up in town or a new ministry or somebody who is younger and maybe has got some fresh ideas and something great seems to be happening with, with that group. And uh, uh, when do we say, you know, that's that's great. Looks like God is doing a new thing and maybe I decrease and what's happening over there is going to increase like the um no one can receive anything except what's been given from heaven. So maybe it's maybe it's just time. Maybe it's time for me to decrease and that to increase. I you know, I'll try to be faithful in what I'm doing, uh but I'm not going to resent when something new happens. Um, so an example of this is I've uh, had someone who was part of my church, uh, part of Prairie. I know people from Prairie are watching this. Um, I, I'll mention them because I think they're they're okay with that. Uh, uh, Brigitte, uh, people might know, remember her. Um, and uh, her and her husband, Bright, are starting a new church. And we haven't really talked much about this at Prairie, but... Um, I've connected with them a little bit and uh, just recently with Bright. Um, and they're actually using the same space as us in uh, as part of a ministry of Converge Church that we share with. So we have like four little churches now that meet in the space that we rent. We rent from Converge Community Church. And um, and so, yeah, this will be the fourth church that is that is starting out of that space. And I could have, I get, I, I didn't. I didn't do this, but I could have just said, oh man, you know, Brigitte, she's sang in the worship team and she's really this wonderful person. And, um, I could have resented and gone, oh, you're leaving our church. And, but, but why, you know, um, her husband is in seminary and, um, and they see a, a group of people that are in need of, uh, coming together and, and figuring out faith together. And, uh, so blessings to them. Like, Great. I hope you increase. I, I, I also hope we don't decrease a ton, but I could have seen that as a loss, I guess is what I'm saying, rather than a gain. And I think churches actually need to do more of this, where it's like, oh, there's something new that is going to happen that's coming out of our membership um, that actually a lot of people might look at it and go, oh, that's loss. But we need to look at this as like the gain of, of what God is up to. Um so where is it that we can celebrate our, our joy can overflow because of something new and something good that is taking place? How do we do that? How do we celebrate that? So I really like this. I think this is potentially um, uh, has potentially has some things to teach us about how uh, how new churches start, how new ministries can can take place. This idea of um, 
uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. So I really like that line. I think there's uh, things to explore there. Uh, th that's not the end of our reading. Um, it's about to get more complicated as usual in John's gospel. So the one who comes from above is above all. Oh, we should mention, if you're reading along in your Bible, again, you'll see quotation marks uh, in my version that I'm reading NRSV. The quotes stop uh, at the end of verse 30. Uh, he must increase, but I must decrease, end of quote. And then it's narration after that. You notice that this is actually different than when Jesus was speaking and the quotes tended to go all the way to the end of uh, John 3, 21. Uh, here, though, the quotes could actually keep going, as in it could be still John the Baptist speaking. And I think maybe it is still John the Baptist speaking. Again, there's no quotation marks in Greek, so we don't really know. Um, but I kind of like the idea that this is actually John the Baptist continuing to talk uh, rather than the narration that's provided by the narrator, the other John, <laughs> right? the, the author of, of the gospel. Uh, okay, so he goes, verse uh, 31, the one who comes from above is above all. Again, talking about Jesus, um, this language has been used about him before, the one who's from above. Uh, this is where Jesus is from. And he's above all. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. John might actually be talking about himself or any earthly teachers. You know, the one who uh, belongs to the earth speaks about earthly things. Yeah. Uh, the one who comes from heaven is above all. He's just restating what he just said. He testifies, again with the court language, uh, testifies or witnesses to or points to or speaks about because he's actually seen it. Like that's what testimony is, is eyewitness testimony. We think about that. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, as in he's the one from above, the one from heaven, and he's testifying to what he's seen and heard, as in Jesus actually knows. Uh, yet no one accepts his testimony. This is a uh, hyperbole. No, which just means like extreme exaggeration, essentially. Yet no one accepts his testimony. Well, that's actually not entirely true, is it, John? I mean, that's act that is sort of the stance of the world in a way. Mm, no, we don't really quite buy what you're saying, Jesus. Like, mm, no. But but actually, there are a bunch of people who accept his testimony, including the people who are reading this gospel. And you see how this is kind of a if this is the narrator. Um, or even the way the narrator is telling um, how John the Baptist is talking, you see what they're doing here is they're sort of letting the community, the reader in on the secret, as in like, you know what? Nobody accepts this, like except us, right? Like we're <laughs> like, we've got it right. And everyone out there who's against us, like they just don't, they haven't got it. They don't, they haven't, they're not there yet. And but we've but we have this right, and you get this then in verse thirty three. Whoever has accepted his testimony has certified this that God is true. Okay, so um, no one accepts his testimony. Well, but whoever has accepted his testimony, like us, like the people reading this, right? Like you can imagine the early Christian community—they're a minority, right? Like, and they're trying to hold their community together and say, like, okay, like. No one's accepting this, but you know what? Whoever has accepted his testimony has certified or sealed this. Like they, um, those people are acting as, uh, 
acting as a seal, um, which is like an official stamp, right? A seal is an official stamp. So it's like uh, um, they are, they themselves are basically becoming witnesses. Like they are showing others this, that God is true. Or I, I, I haven't looked up the Greek on this one, but uh, I think it's possible, the possible rendering could be uh, that God is truth rather than God is true. Uh, I'm just going to check something here to see if I can find that. So that's verse 33. And um, yeah, so and I, the New International Version says God is truthful. So God is true. God is truthful. Um I don't know. Like, I like the idea that it, hopefully it says it could be rendered as God is true or God is truth. Sorry, God is truth. Because later we find that Jesus talks about himself as the way, the truth and the life. And then even later in the gospel, we get this famous passage where Jesus is talking about truth. Um, and uh, Pontius Pilate in Jesus' trial asks, what is truth? And uh, so kind of puts that into question. Anyway, I kind of like this, that God is truth rather than God is true, but maybe it's just that God is truthful. God is actually telling the truth. Um, or we can actually trust the claims that are being made about God and being made about Jesus, right? That maybe is, is how to talk about this. All right, verse 34. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Uh, great. I'm not going to comment too much about that. The father loves the son and has placed all things in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. And that's where our reading ends on that rather potentially oppressive and harsh note. Uh, and it takes us back to what we talked about yesterday a little bit. Is is this idea of God's wrath oppressive? The fact that we don't actually, like, we really don't want a judgmental God, right? Like, we don't want a God. We don't want to believe in a God that condemns people. And, um, but I think the challenge is, is that we do want a just God, right? We We don't actually want a God that just says, oh, yeah anything goes like it's totally fine like yeah sure genocide no problem you were responsible for that but you know i i'm not i who who's here to judge well actually i think we do want a god that says i am here to judge genocide is wrong um you know slavery is wrong there's all kinds of things that are actually abhorrent and so i think we want a just god who will say no 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 i'm standing in judgment over that uh, what generally what we don't want is we don't want a God who judges me, right? Like I don't want to be judged. Um, that sort of makes sense, right? Um, and so here uh, we have a couple of things that are going on. Uh, something to note might be that the word wrath itself is kind of a hard word because it's associated with like anger, like kind of this violent anger. Uh, now we'll just note that 
the word wrath, I looked this up, it only shows up five times in the Gospels combined. And this is the only place it shows up in the Gospel of John. This is also why I think the the quote should actually end at the at the end of this verse, um, that these are the words of John the Baptist. And yes, they've been kind of uh, massaged by John the writer, because that's what writers do when they're telling a story after the fact. They're not always verbatim quoting. But I do feel like you may get a mix of John the Baptist's language and John the writer of the gospel's language, right? And you'll get that with any characters that show up in a true story. You're going to get a mix of the voice of the writer and the person they're actually quoting in those quotes. So here is a place where I think we've actually got John the Baptist's way of portraying the life of faith. Uh, In fact, three of the five times in the gospels where the word wrath is used it's actually in the mouth of John the Baptist, right? So he he for sure talked about judgment is coming, you know, watch out and uh, you better repent. Like this is, that's his primary message. And, uh, and then Jesus comes and that message actually, it's still actually there with Jesus, but, but it's, there's some subtleties in Jesus' message that, take us in some slightly different directions. So Jesus does things like love your, people say, you know, you should love your friends, but I say love your enemies. Like Jesus does things like that in his teaching, right? So um, so John does some some different things. Um, I like, uh, I looked up a, a commentary that I have that's by Gail O'Day, and I like what she says about this last little bit. And so I actually want to read. So this is the New Interpreter's Bible commentary. Um, that's maybe about 20 years old. It's still really good. Uh, this, this is what she says about this last little bit where it seems maybe a little harsh. She says, the absolute language of uh, John 3, 36 conveys the seriousness of the faith decision. Everything is at issue. Everything is at stake. While these absolutes may at first glance seem oppressive, in reality, they are ultimately liberating. Once one declares acceptance of Jesus' testimony and hence reveals who one is, then one is set free to live one's life reconstituted or reborn. And she cites uh, John 3.3 and 3.7. Um, that idea of born born from above or born anew. Um, uh, one is set free to live one's life reconstituted through the grace of God in Jesus. When one certifies that God is truth, the possibilities for life are limitless. So I, I do like this because um, even though this sort of ends with, you know, uh, whoever disobeys the son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. Um, it's also kind of saying, I, I would, I, I would love it if, if in here it said, uh, but must continue to endure uh, God's wrath. So, and what I mean by that is that 
sometimes, right, if we are, we talked about this yesterday, when you can be sort of on the wrong side of judgment. So if there actually is right and wrong, which, which I know some people debate that, but I just think you've just got to take extreme cases and realize, oh yeah, there's things that are wrong. Absolutely. Like human beings do actually terrible things to one another all the time. Um, so if that's true, then if God is, is coming and saying, hey, like, no, 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 that's wrong. And I'm here to set things right. I'm, I'm bringing justice here. Then you can find yourself on the wrong side of that judgment. And that's actually experienced as wrath. I think that is actually what the Bible is talking about when it talks about wrath or God's wrath is that, yeah, yeah. Like I can't imagine, like if somebody did something to my child that was awful, I would be wrathful against that person. And so I think when somebody does something to one of God's children, I think God is also wrathful, right? Like God is not happy. God is angry at what has happened. And if you continue to essentially disobey the son who has had all things placed in his hands, then yeah, that's, you're going to stand under that. And we don't like that because we just kind of associate sometimes this idea of, well, does that mean, like, are we talking like, what are we talking about here? If you don't, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're under God's wrath. Some people will for sure say that. I won't make that argument. Um, But I will say, when we talk about like disobeying the son, like, what are we, what are we talking about? Are we saying like, uh, you know, what are we so worried about? Is it, you know, love your neighbor as yourself? Like, is that, is that what we think? Well, we don't want to have to do that. Like, stop judging me. Well, wait a second. Like, I, when you actually look at what Jesus actually teaches and what he stands for, like, set aside what, if you've got hangups about the church or institutional religion or any of those sorts of things, and actually look at, well, what did Jesus himself actually stand for and do and say and teach? And what would it mean to actually be obedient? Here it talks about obedience obedient to him what would it mean to come and see and actually live your life in such a way that he's the one who's guiding it Uh, this one who talked about loving everyone um loving your neighbors even loving your enemies turning the other cheek i mean jesus has some harder teachings for sure but at the core of what he's what he's about is this idea of loving one another and we're gonna say oh wait a second like I, i i'm not really into that like and stop judging me for not what? No, no, no. If you're not going to live in this way, then you're actually living opposed to what God's vision for the world is. And so, yes, of course, then you're on the wrong side of that judgment, right? So I think we've got to kind of, it's hard because we sometimes we have to separate ourselves from a bunch of the religious baggage that we might be carrying um, and try to get back to, well, what did what did Jesus, what was he actually about? And um, and who is he really? And John has been trying to build this idea of who is Jesus really. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm going to leave it there for today. We've gone on for a long time this morning and we'll be back Monday morning uh, at 9 a.m. on Instagram Live on the Prairie Instagram page. And uh, we'll be looking at starting into John chapter which is a really interesting chapter. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks for joining today. Take care.